Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Good morning, Hope Elam. Yeah, you can clap for that. Amen. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Good morning. Everybody say, it's time. Oh, it is time, Hope Elam. These words that are powerful have been a part of a lot of different films and movies and stories that we love. It's time. And it is time for the message today. It's time to dive into God's word. For those of you that I haven't met, my name's John, one of the pastors here, and it is so good to have you here. These words are powerful. It's time. Everybody say, it's time. It's time not just defines the movies and the stories that we love, but if you think about some of those pivotal moments in your life where you say, it's time, getting married or uh, the birth of one of your children or the the time that you finally find your purpose or your first day of school or the the, the day that you start a brand new job, it's time. You're you're sitting in an interview, you're you're, you're looking for your, your plan and God's purpose for your life and you realize it's time. Those words are marked defining moments in our lives. It's time. It's time. And it turns out that there's a word for this in the Bible in terms of time and it's kairos. Everybody say kairos. And this is a word for time that defines the right or opportune moment. This this moment in time when God breaks into our lives. And so this morning when I say it's time, I'm saying it's time. And God wants to break into your life today. Today is the right or opportune moment. If you dig into that word time a little bit in the Greek, there's a few different words for time. And one of those is chronos. Everybody say chronos. That's where we get the English word chronological. Chronological time moves from left to right, from start to finish. You were born and someday you will die. There is a chronological uh, aspect to time. That is one word for time in scripture. Another word is kairos. Everybody say kairos. Kairos is a different kind of time as you're moving along that timeline of your life. Kairos is called the right or opportune time. A moment when in the course of human history that God's story breaks into our story. And I think if we're honest, there's been a bunch of Kairos moments in our lives. Whether you were aware of them or not, God has been moving and working in your life. And whether you realized it at the time that that was a Kairos moment or not, doesn't change the fact that God was breaking through. It's our choice whether we're going to be aware of that. And the reality is, is that with Kairos moments, we can stop. And we can say, God, what is it that you're trying to do in my life? Or we can just blow right through those big yellow X's in our lives and pretend that nothing's happened. God is always trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your attention today with a breakthrough, with a kairos moment. That today can be a brand new beginning and God is breaking into the reality of your life today. It's time. Everybody say, it's time. It's time because today is Rally Sunday. Turn to your neighbor and say, happy Rally Sunday, neighbor. Tell them that right now. Happy Rally Sunday. 
If you didn't grow up in the church or if this isn't your tradition, some of you are going, I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Well, it is Rally Sunday. This is just a day. It's, it's, it's not in the Bible. It's just a day that we set aside in the church to, to mark the beginning of a brand new school year, to mark the beginning of uh, kicking off fall ministries and, and getting going together and coming together after the summer and saying it's a new season and we're kicking off this fall of ministry together. But here's the reality. It's been an incredible rally weekend already. We're, we're moving into this new season of uh, ministries. Men's and women's ministry kicked off uh, yesterday morning. I drove into the parking lot and on a Saturday morning, the parking lot was full. So praise God for that. How cool is that? God's doing a lot of things around here. Uh, and then we had an incredible work day. Folks, you, you blow me away. Dozens and dozens, I didn't even count, but dozens and dozens and dozens of people showed up on a rainy Saturday morning to help beautify this church and make it uh, an incredible place uh, to be the church. Praise God for the servant hearts uh, in this church and everything. Yeah, you can clap for yourselves, absolutely. It was an incredible day. I got a little emotional just walking around the church and just seeing all these groups of people all over the place taking pride, taking ownership uh, in your church building. And, and that was about all that happened uh, yesterday. Nothing else happened. Nothing else happened yesterday afternoon. Some people told me that there was a sporting event yesterday afternoon. I, I don't know what happened. Let's just say this. There was more highlights at the all-church workday than there was in that football game yesterday. Amen. <laughs> And here's the deal. I'm wearing neutral Drake blue today. Go Bulldogs, just representing our neighborhood and our community. I am still a Hawkeye fan, but I will take Team Jesus here at Hope Elam. I'll take all of you over the Hawkeyes any day. Amen. Love all of you. Absolutely. Let me just say to the Cyclone fans, God's word says that... You're proving my point right now. <laughs> that pride cometh before the fall, Scripture says. Okay, so just remember that. You heard a word from the Lord from your pastor this morning. Just remember that uh, together. So enough about the game. Praise God that there's more to life than the Cyhawk game. Amen. There's more to life than that, all right? You can gloat for a while, Cyclone fans, but that needs to end now, Okay. So back to church. Did I mention how amazing you are? So last Wednesday, like Rally Sunday is, is today, but God's been on the move for a long time. It came last Wednesday and worship is hot. By the way, do you know one of our fastest growing services is Wednesday night at 6.30. And, and God's doing some amazing things. That, and we had a student-led worship team uh, on Wednesday. We dismissed the students for their kickoff of student ministry. The lobby is full, over 40 students kicking off the year for student ministry. God is on the move in there. God's on the move. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Grades 5 through 12, God's on the move in the commons. People eating together, fellowship, dining together, all those meals going out the door. God's doing these incredible things, and we're just getting started. It was incredible. But here's the thing. I'm mentioning all this, giving God praise for what he's doing but we like to be honest here about Hope Elam. And, may, and, and there may be some of you that are sitting here today that are newer to our community. You're hearing about all this and you're saying, yeah, yeah, Pastor John, that's great. But I'm not exactly in a celebratory mood today. And I'm not just talking about those of us that are Hawk fans that are in mourning today. It's way bigger than that. For some of you, you've just had a really bad experience with the church. For some of you, church is just sort of a ho-hum type of thing. 
for some of you, you've had a, a bad experience or you feel disconnected and, and maybe you just haven't had a great experience with the church, period. That's this series that we're in that we've been diving into these last couple weeks. It's called American Spirituality, Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope. And today, I just what I want to do on this Rally Sunday is I want to zoom out. I want to kind of zoom out to about 10,000 feet and, and just name it. <laughs> and just name the elephant in the room. The church hasn't always got it right. The church at the same time is both broken and yet beautiful. There are incredible things that happen in the church. And I'm not just talking about Hope Elam. I'm talking about the church, period. Capital C Church. But there are also some really, really difficult things as well. And that's what I want to talk about today is the reality is, if you think about it, the church globally, the church in America kind of has a PR issue. <laughs> there are things that you see or read about in the news and they're not always pretty. And it doesn't always make you proud to be an evangelical or to be a part of the church. And these words have been hijacked and used for different things. I'm not so proud to be associated with that. Scandals in the news, hypocritical leaders, often as the church we're sometimes known more for what we're against than what we're for. Sometimes when you think about people that are outside the walls of the church, and if you would just go up to a random person that wasn't really interested in church, they weren't really interested in Jesus, and you'd say, what, what, what is it that first comes to mind about these church people, about these Christians? Hateful, judgmental, hypocritical. Far cry from the city on a hill that God has called us to be. And for some of you, if you're honest, you're like, you know what? I got enough drama in my life. I don't need to come and be a part of more drama here. There's enough divisiveness out there. Why do I want to come and experience more divisiveness where we're supposed to be united? And if that's not you today, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm this is great. Your, your friends, your, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. The people that we care deeply about. This church exists large in part for people that don't like church. <laughs> and I just want to say that if you're relatively new today or maybe you got drug here or you don't really want to be here, you're checking things out, or maybe you've had a bad experience with the church in the past. Even if you don't have a beef with organized religion today, maybe for some of you, you can't remember the last time that you were on fire. You feel this disconnect from God today. When you think about church, it's something that I do once in a while. Life is busy. There's lots of demands. I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. And so I'm trying to fit my faith. I'm trying to fit my religion into the rest of my life. For some of you, the reality was there's this thing called COVID that still very much exists. But in the thick of it, in the heat of it, you got off track. You got out of alignment with God, and for some of you, you still haven't got back on track. You haven't found those habits and those rhythms again that are going to be life-giving for you. If not you, then certainly the people around you. It seems like if we go down the list, there's hundreds of reasons to give up. There's hundreds of reasons to say, well, the church is broken, and I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be a part of that. And the question is, should you? <laughs> In the brokenness and the beautiful nature of the church, that's the question that we're after today. Is it still worth it? Is it still worth it? I want you to think about it this way. I just happened to have in my pocket part of our, our tithe for this week. And uh, it's, a, whoops, it's a crisp $20 bill. I just want to know, just a show of hands, would anybody want a 20 today? Just anybody could use a little, yeah. 
quite a few. Some of you are like, what's going on here, right? No, I mean it. Like, who, who wants a $20 bill, right? Looks pretty great, right? There's, it's, it's real. It's not fake. It's, I didn't steal it from my kid's Monopoly set. Like, it's, it's real, okay? So a lot of people wanted it, okay? Just wondering, does anybody want it now? Oh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll still take it, right? Uh, does anybody want it now? Anybody still? Okay, still have some takers, okay? You're pushing me here. You're pushing me. Got some music soundtrack here going on, right? Any takers? I still want it? More people want it now. What is it with you people, right? Maybe I'll just shove it under the rug, and maybe there's some dirt under the rug, and just really stomp it out, okay? I would spit on it. I'm not going to do that, but I think if we're honest, a lot of us are thinking, yeah, that's kind of what I think about the church. That's what a lot of people think about the church. How many people still want it? Really? I mean, I'd be tempted to rip it, but I want it to work, uh, as well. So I could rip it, I could spit on it, I could take it out back in the alley and get it all dirty and dusty and muddy. Do you, do you still want it? Why? It hasn't lost its value. It hasn't lost its value. And in the same way with this 20, I mean, I, it could be a $100 bill for all that matter. It could be a $500 bill. Thousand, do they even make those? I've never seen one in my life. It could be that, right? The reality is its value and its worth is not determined by what's happened to it. It's not determined by its circumstances. It's not determined by its bruises and bumps and scars and tears and the dirt that falls on it. Its value is determined by the person at the treasury department that printed this and made this. Its value is determined by its maker. Amen? The one that created it. And no matter what its state, and no matter what its condition, and no matter what's happened to it, it still has this value and worth that hasn't changed. Amen? Is the same is true about the church. Amen? And today, we celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came with this Kairos moment and says, it's time. And today he says to you, today can be that Kairos moment. Today that could be that right or opportune moment where regardless of what has happened to your experience of the church, a bad experience with religion, a bad experience with Christianity, you can take an honest look at Jesus and say, where am I at today and where is Jesus calling me to go? This might be my experience, this might be how I feel, but Jesus is calling me into something greater to take a second look at the church, at the bride of Christ, and that's where we're going today. Amen? So that's where we're looking today. But if we're honest, where Jesus finds us, if you go to that next slide along that pathway of life, we're found in different places. Some of you are like, yeah, I want that. I get that, John. But that hasn't been my experience. And I just want to speak to some of you today that might be feeling disconnected. You might feel like you're on the outside looking in. I want to experience that breakthrough from Jesus, but here's the reality of where I am. I think, honestly, there's a lot of us today that might fall in one of these categories. Some of us are skeptical. Some of us are stuck. Not scared. Scarred. You've had a broken, checkered relationship with the past. And the reality is, and the truth is, the good news this morning is that wherever you are, Jesus is coming with that kairos, with that breakthrough moment, the right or opportune time to turn things around for 
you. The first one is that some of you might feel like you're a skeptic. A lot of times what happens is that we'll encounter people in the church, and maybe this has been you at some point in your life, where you, you come into a church like this, and it seems like everybody is excited, and it seems like everybody's on board, but you are too afraid to admit that you've got some doubts. You've got some struggles. That you're, 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 because of all those things we mentioned before, you're a little hesitant of, of jumping in all the way. You're, you're skeptical of institutions. Praise God that the church is not primarily an institution. It's a movement that you get to join. And yet we have these misperceptions, these ideas of the church. And the assumption is, is that because I have doubts, because I have, I have questions about the Bible and how things came to be and, and why do these things happen and who is God and why does he do certain things and not do other. I got some questions, Pastor John. I've got some doubts. And the danger is, is that we think that somehow we have to take those outside the church. That somehow I have to go outside the church, outside this community to find those answers. I got to go find myself. I got to go define my own spirituality. I got to go define my own truth because I've got some doubts. I've got some struggles and the danger is, I mean, that's the worst thing that we can do. Because the truth is, is that doubt has been a part of our story from the very beginning, from the very start of the church, even before the church, in terms of what Jesus encountered himself. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to bounce around today a little bit and do a little Bible study in a few different Gospels. John chapter 20. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life. And we're going to be in John chapter 20. To give you a little bit of context, Jesus has risen from the dead and some of the disciples have seen him and some of them haven't. And now we read this. Now Thomas, everybody say Thomas. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Here's one of Jesus' own disciples. The dude spent three years with him. And he's still saying, I don't know. I saw him, I saw him get crucified. And nobody that gets crucified and shoved in a tomb with a giant boulder in front of it comes back. I, I don't know if I believe yet. A week later, Jesus appears to the disciples again, and we pick it up in John 20, verse 27, if you're following along. Jesus, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. He looks Thomas in the eyes and he says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. If you think about that story, here's the power of it. Of all the ways that Jesus could have responded. Thomas, dude, you hung out with me for three years. You watched me heal the blind man. You watched me feed 5,000 with a couple loaves and fishes. You saw me heal lepers. You saw me do the impossible. And you're doubting? Come on, man. How many sermons have you listened to me preach? Can't you just believe? But he doesn't. He doesn't. He simply says, come and see. Come and see. There is no judgment in Jesus. There is no condemnation in Jesus to Thomas. He simply says, come and see. And because we're a church that follows Jesus, that is our response as well. If you've got doubts today, Hope Elam, if you've got questions, our response as a church, come and see. Not, not make up your own spirituality. 
not drift out there, not never plug in with the church. Stop doubting and believe, but come and see. Even at Jesus' ascension, he has literally appeared to over 500 witnesses after the resurrection, and he's getting ready to ascend back to his father, and his followers are gathered on the mountain there with him. And it says, and they worshiped him there, and there's a little phrase, but it says, and some doubted. What? That phrase gets me every time Jesus is on his giant Holy Spirit zip line up to heaven, and they're like, ah, I don't know if this guy's legit or not. What? You've watched him do incredible ministry and some doubted? What does that tell me as I look at the story in the life of, the G- life of Jesus in all the Gospels? There was hundreds if not thousands of people that followed him, that traveled with him, that were a part of Jesus' larger extended community, and many of them did not believe. Many of them had doubts. Many of them had, were, were skeptics and they had big questions and they weren't on board with this Jesus thing and he seemed just fine with that. Now was Jesus always saying, stop doubting and believe, put your faith in me, you have little faith? Absolutely, but it was always invitational language and that's the invitation for you today. If that's your hurdle, if that's your obstacle, if that is going to be your Kairos moment where Jesus finds you, that is my challenge to you. Stop doubting and believe, but ask the questions. If you're unsure about your faith, if you're unsure about this whole church thing, know that you are in good company. You don't have to go somewhere else. Else you can bring your doubts and your struggles and your questions. I've said it once and I'll say it again, but here's the truth. The strongest faith is not a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts. Through your doubts. And here's the reality. It's not an if, but when you have doubts. When something happens and it shakes your faith. And it feels like it's shaking the foundation of your faith. You can use that as an obstacle or an opportunity. When you doubt, don't run away from the church. Don't run away from God. Run to the church. Run to your God with your doubts, with your questions, with your fears, with your struggles. Jesus says to Thomas, and he says to you, come and see Come and see. Ask your questions. Wrestle with it. Don't see it as an obstacle. Use it as an opportunity to press deeper into the heart of God. To understand who he is. To understand his heart for you. One of the best ways that you can do that is this upcoming Alpha class that you've heard so much about. And yes, this is a shameless plug, and here's why. The last few times that we've done Alpha in this church, it has accomplished exactly what we wanted to. There's groups of people that come and they're like, yeah, I believe. I'm on board, but I just want to get a good foundation in my faith. And if you're new in your faith, or maybe you grew up and nobody ever taught you how to read the Bible, and you want to discover who this God is for yourself, Alpha's perfect for you. But here's who it's also perfect for. People that have come into Alpha that had no idea what they believed. And we simply walked alongside them. I had a a couple come up to me, and they were just in shock. And I said, why are you, you, do you not like the class? Like, what's going on? They said, No, 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 we just expected you to shove the Bible down our throat. No, we just expected you to force us to believe things, to judge us, to have have people laugh at us when we ask these questions in the small groups. They said, no, 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 that's the whole point. (laughs) Hope Elam is a skeptic-friendly church because we want to invite you to come and see to experience God for yourself. Not maybe what you grew up with, not the bad church experience you had in the past, not your parents' faith. Who is Jesus to you? Ask the questions. The last thing that we want you to do is check your brain at the door. 
Ask the questions. Take alpha. Come experience in a safe, judgment, pressure, guilt-free way. Maybe you're skeptical today, or maybe you're just stuck. For some of you, that big yellow X on the trajectory of your life where you marked this morning is you're not a skeptic, you're just stuck. And for some reason, you might be looking back on certain moments of your life saying, yeah, I was on fire for Jesus. I went on that mission trip. I went to that Christian concert. I had that mountaintop experience when I, when I used to be a part of that church or that Bible study or that small group. Or when I was younger in my faith, before some of these really hard things happened to me, I was on fire. And now it's like a little pilot light. You feel disconnected. For some of you, we've talked about the, the challenges of the last couple years and whatever you've been through personally, the ways that you've dealt with or haven't dealt with the reality of COVID and getting all out of whack in alignment with your schedule. Ah, it's 2022, John. I'm, I'm going to try to work in faith to my life. I'm going to try to work it into all the other areas, but I'm just so busy. I'm just so overwhelmed. I know that Jesus wants to break into my life, but there isn't any room. My schedule's full, my, my, my priorities are, are full, and into that world steps Jesus. And if that's you this morning and you're just feeling stuck, disconnected, your faith is a little dry, your cup is a little empty when it comes to your faith this morning, Jesus says, I accept you just as you are, but I refuse to leave you that way. I accept you just as you are, but I refuse to leave you that way. And Jesus shows up to you the same way that he shows up to a couple friends named Mary and Martha a long time ago. If you have your Bibles, now turn from John back to Luke, Luke chapter 10. So instead of John, turn to Luke chapter 10, and there we find another familiar story. Jesus is showing up at the house of some good friends, Mary and Martha, who happen to be the sisters of Lazarus. You've heard that story before as well. Two sisters, two friends of Jesus, and he's coming to visit. Now, if you heard that Jesus was coming to your house, do you think he'd vacuum? Do you think he'd do the dishes? Think he'd clean up a little bit, maybe, right? Jesus coming over. So you can't blame Martha, so she starts going nuts. She starts cleaning everything up. She starts going crazy, and she just becomes a busybody. Well, Jesus shows up, and her sister Mary just welcomes Jesus in and just starts sitting at his feet and listening to him. Meanwhile, Martha just keeps on going because Jesus is here and I got to make everything perfect. And I don't want to put the casserole in the oven for too long and I don't want to burn it, right? I want to make sure the placemats are just right and that the house is clean and that it smells nice. And I got my essential oils diffuser over here and I got everything perfect for Jesus. And well, we pick up the story while Mary is sitting at his feet. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Everybody say one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, before we go any further, this story has been preached on so many times by so many different preachers, and I think Martha gets a bad rap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take sides with Martha here just for a moment. Everybody jumps all over Martha and says, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Just sit at Jesus' feet, don't do anything, and if you do any chores or if you're busy or you do things for Jesus, your life is all out of whack. That is not what Jesus says. I want you to notice something about this story. Does Jesus ever point the finger of judgment at Martha? No. Does Jesus ever say what Martha's doing is wrong? No. I believe what Jesus is doing in this story as Mary, her sister, sitting at his feet, experiencing that intimacy with Jesus, Jesus is just looking at Martha 
with all our stress and all our fuss and all our worry and all our anxiety. And this is simply Jesus throwing Martha a lifeline. Martha, there's a lot of things that maybe you're being busy with in your life that I never asked you to do. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Have you asked Jesus what your calendar should look like this fall? Have you asked God what your priorities, what what his agenda is for your life? Jesus never looks at Martha and says, stop doing all those things. There's nothing wrong with all of those things. But in the moment, Jesus says, I'm here. And I want you to be with me. I want you to experience that one thing, Martha, that can satisfy your soul. The point of this story is not that all the other things are bad. It's that if you don't slow down to make time for the most important thing, you're going to miss the point of life. You're going to miss the point of life. I wonder, what's your one thing today? Everybody say one. What's your one thing? And I know it's easy to say the Sunday school answer. Jesus, squirrel, right? We like to throw out those answers. Jesus is my one thing. Here's my challenge to you. If we had a film crew do a documentary on your life and we followed you around for a month and their one primary question in this documentary is to say, what is their one thing? What would that be? What are you most passionate about? Where does most of your time go? What gets the affection of your heart? What do you worship? What is the one thing that is the driving force and purpose of your life? If people followed you around, what would that be? I'd like it to be Jesus. I don't know if it would be. A lot of times what we try to do is that we fill our lives with a bunch of things and then we try to make room for the one thing. Maybe some of you have seen this idea before, but sometimes it's, it's uh, easier to see it in a, in a visual sense. Let's say that this is your life. Any given week, any given month, any given year, especially as we head into a new season and maybe you're making your calendar with your kids and you're trying to figure out how am I going to organize my schedule and what should my priorities be, all of us have a limited amount of time, right? We've got 24 hours in the day, seven days a week. We, we only have so much time to fill. All of us, that bucket is the same. The question is, how are you going to fill it? And Jesus says, well, there are some big rocks in your life, meaning me, spending time with me making weekly worship a priority, spending time in prayer, spending time in my word, having it dwell richly in your life, experiencing Christian community, those things that are going to stick with you, those things that are going to fill you up. But the problem is, is that we don't start there. We start with everybody else's agenda. We look around us in the world on social media and say, what is everybody else busy with? And we try to fill our lives with everything else. There are some big rocks but oftentimes we find the smaller things and we start with the, the minutia. <laughs> we start with the sand, just the little things that we, we, we feel like are so important. And then we get to some bigger things. There's some bigger rocks in there and you could name every single one of those rocks. Things that are good, things that are important. Time with family, time with friends, having a social life, doing lots of fun things, having hobbies, exercising, taking care of yourself, all those things. But the problem is, is that we continue to go to everything except the one thing that matters. And so we fill our lives. With all of those smaller things. I think I got it all. There's Friday. And then we say, oh, I got to make room for church. I got to make room for my faith. I got to make room for Jesus. I forgot. Let me try to. It doesn't fit, does it? It doesn't fit. 
What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek what? Seek first, not second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or when you have time or when it works in your schedule or when it's not a busy season or when your kids are growing out of the house or when you're retired. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will be added unto you. There's something that God does in and through us that he can satisfy our soul in a way, that he can help us prioritize our lives. And he says, start over this fall. Start over this fall. Take an honest, hard look at where you're going with your life. And he says, what would it look like if you started with the one thing? What are the big rocks in your life? Have you sat down with your spouse? Have you sat down with your family and your kids and, says, and said, what are the big rocks for us? What are the non-negotiables? What are the things that we're going to put in our lives first and foremost? We're going to weekly worship as a family because it's what we are created for. We're going to spend time in God's word. We're going to get those things in there first, and we're going to build the rest of our lives around them. We're going to build the rest of our schedule around them. And then we're going to start to fill it up, and we're going to think, oh, man, I don't know. But if our family does that, then we're going to miss out on this. If I do too much of this God stuff, then I'm going to be really missing out. And I just feel like, oh, man, I got all these, I got all these things. I got a lot of important things. And if I put those things in first, is there really going to be room for everything else? I don't know. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. Well, I got a lot of things, Jesus, and I don't know if they're going to fit because it didn't fit last time. And so, Jesus, I'll, I'll trust you. I don't know. I got a lot of stuff, but I don't know how it's all going to fit. And somehow, when you put the big rocks first, Jesus says, it all fits in the bucket. Amen? Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Many things can fill your schedule, but only one thing this fall is going to fill your soul. And it is having a living, daily relationship with Jesus. Not once in a while. What is your one thing? What, is, what are your big rocks? I know it's a difficult season with the kids. I know you're going to grad school. I know that COVID happened. I know that some of your coworkers are silent quitting. I know that it's a difficult season for you. I know that it's never going to perfectly pan out. And Jesus looks at you today and he says, follow me. He looks at you just like he did Martha and he says, dear, slow down. Slow down. You think it's got to be all those other things. Put me first. Trust me. Take me up on that offer. I want to get really practical for a second. If you go to the next slide, there's just a few things that I wanted to to list for you. If you have your phone, you can take a picture of this or whatever. If, if you're one of those busy in that category like I am, I want to encourage you, just start here. You don't have to read a chapter of the Bible day. There are incredible Bible and prayer apps that are out there. The Pause app that I've talked about before, the Dwell app, Lectio 365 that will read the Bible to you. There's Bible reading plans. Start with five minutes a day. I've said it once and I'll say it again. If you are too busy to pray, you are too busy. And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I mean that in a, I love you enough as one of your pastors to say that I want God's word to breathe life into your soul. What are some of those big rocks? Maybe it's just starting with 10 minutes a day. If you're feeling a little disconnected from others in your faith, say, talk to your spouse, talk to your family, talk to your friends and say, we're going to worship the 9 o'clock service. We're going to come Wednesdays at 6.30. We're going to do the 11 o'clock service, whatever it is. We're going to worship weekly. We have an incredible prayer class coming up. Uh, at the end of the month as well that I want to encourage you to take to develop that prayer life. For some of you, it's not like I'm disconnected. You're just kind of stuck. you just kind of ho-hum and plateaued in your faith. When's the last time you served? I'm just not getting anything out of it because it's all about you. And Jesus says, I'm actually going to fill you up when you make it about 
others. When's the last time you served? When's the last time you joined a group? Yeah, I know, but those people are weird. Well, you're weird too, so <laughs> get over it, okay? And join the club and welcome to the church here at Hope Elam, okay? Serve, get out of your comfort zone, join a group. And here's the reality for some of you, it's not, I'm not a skeptic. John, I'm not stuck. The reality is for some of you on that line and that big yellow X today, the final area for some of you is that you're just scarred. You're hurt. And my time is not up. I got a couple more minutes. Don't stop on me yet, right? You're scarred. John, I tried. I, I got in that small group, and not only were they weird church people, I got offended. And they didn't do it the way that I wanted to do it. And the small group in the Bible study didn't go the way that I wanted to go. And the music wasn't the way that I wanted it to be. And somebody hurt me. Somebody gossiped about me. Somebody said something behind my back. Somebody did something that I didn't appreciate. And I'm not going to put myself out there because I'm still healing. I still got scars to show it. And maybe it was this church or maybe it was another church or something from your childhood. And just, I always felt so judged. I just always felt like it wasn't for me and there was all these churchy people and I was kind of on the outside looking in. I'm, I'm, I'm scarred, John. And so I know you want to have your big rally Sunday celebration, but I'm, I'm not there, if I can be honest. I'm just not there. I'm hurting and I put myself out there and I don't want to do that again. And I'll be honest, the church hasn't always gotten it right. And we've messed this one up in the way that we're called to love and to serve others. And if that's been your story, and if you're feeling that even today, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. But I also know that there is no perfect church because the church is made up of a whole bunch of imperfect people, including you and including me. But here's what happens in a similar way to what we do with our doubt. We do the same thing with conflict in the church. And this is what happens. I've got a little bit of doubt. I'm out. There's a little bit of conflict around me. There's some people arguing in my small group, and I didn't like what this person said, and I don't like this aspect of the church. I'm out. And a lot of times, the way that we respond to conflict has less to do with the Bible, what the Bible teaches, and has more to do with our upbringing. And it has more to do with our family of origin. And for a lot of you, this was not modeled for you in a healthy way. And we're not pointing fingers of judgment today. We're just making an explanation. For you growing up, when there's conflict, it's fight or it's flight. We're going to either go like this or I'm out. Because the easiest thing to do when the church gets messy is to leave. Instead, what we see in Scripture is something much different, and it's what Lloyd read for us in our Scripture reading today from Colossians chapter 3. Let's read this nice and loud together. This is what Paul is saying to the church, a broken, messed up, conflicted church in Colossae. He says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, keep going, go ahead and go to the next slide. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Why would Paul write that? <laughs> Why would Paul write that unless there was conflict? Why would Paul write that? Why is it a part of the Bible if everything in Colossae at the church there was hunky-dory? What if being a, the point of being a part of a church wasn't to avoid conflict? What if the point of being a part of a church was to learn how to be healthy family? Amen? To learn how to be a different kind of person. 
Paul is assuming sometimes when we talk about the brokenness of the church, sometimes you're going to get hurt. Sometimes you're going to get your feelings hurt. Sometimes you're going to get offended. Sometimes you're going to need to forgive somebody. Sometimes your opinion isn't going to match the other person's opinion. Sometimes we're going to bump into each other. And the question is not if, but when. Will we respond to conflict and bumps in the road and difficulties in such a way that is different from the world out there that outsiders looking in would go, I don't know what it is about the church. They're not perfect. In fact, they're broken and they're messed up. But boy, do they love each other. And boy, do they forgive each other. And boy, do they make allowances for each other's faults. And boy, are they patient with each other. I don't even know if I believe in God, but I want to be a part of that kind of community. And at some point, as they come in and experience that, they're going to go, I want to worship the same Jesus that they're all worshiping because they're becoming different kinds of people. They're not just emulating what the world does, fight or flight. They're getting into it, and they're learning how to love, and they're learning how to speak the truth and love, and they're forgiving each other, and they're becoming really good listeners, and they're patient with each other. I want to be a part of that. Amen? I want to be a part of that. The beautiful truth is this. I was thinking about my experience, the experience of many that I've talked to in counseling and different things like that over the years. Although we are wounded in community, we're also healed in community. Not by withdrawing, but by allowing ourselves to be loved and accepted in the very places that we were wounded. I want you to sit on that for a second. I'm not talking about intentionally running back to a toxic relationship. I'm talking about the fact that you were created for community. And for some of you, if you have relational wounds, if you have church hurt, if you have wounds from community, it seems counterintuitive. But the way that Jesus wants to restore your heart is by going back to community and feeling the love and the acceptance of a broken, imperfect church that sometimes is going to bump into each other. And I was trying to think, how do I show this? I, I can't do a sermon illustration where I have a couple of you come up and get in a fake fight. I can't, I can't do that. I can't model that. So I found the next best thing, which is a commercial. A random commercial. It's only about a minute long. And I want you to watch this commercial about wheelchair basketball. And you tell me what type of community this is. Take a look. Plot twist, you weren't expecting that, were you? Because the expectation is that when we get in fights and arguments and we have conflict and we have bumps and bruises and we have hurts and we run into each other, that we can't still be family. We can't still be on the same team. Some might say, I see wheelchair basketball or I see a commercial for a beverage. It's not that. When I look at that, I see a picture of a healthy church. Yeah, but John, they're running into each other and and there's bumps in the road and there's obstacles and they're all different and they don't always agree on everything and one guy fell over and somebody might have gotten hurt. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's because they're doing life together, not intentionally in conflict because that's what happens when we try to model something different than what the world shows us. The point of it all is learning to become the brothers and sisters of Christ that Jesus says that we already are. We're on the same team. And most importantly, they did whatever it took to help their friend that was handicapped be a part of the team, to meet people where they are. When the church is at its best, nobody loves like the church. Nobody loves like the church. 
And that's, that's a picture. If I could show you a picture of new member class, that's it. In fact, that we're, that's what we're going to do. We're in a big game for new member class, and we're just going to get at it. But no, we're not going to do that. But that's the idea. Going to new member class later today is not about saying, oh, I found the perfect church. I have arrived. Nobody's offended me yet. So I'm going to join this one. I agree with everything about this church. So I'm joining that, no, come and lock arms with some broken, imperfect people that are pursuing Jesus, that you want to be a part of this life-changing mission that Jesus has called us to on the corner of 25th and University. And I'm locking arms with these people, and I'm looking around me saying, you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect, and this is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And so here I am, and I'm ready to love, and I'm ready to serve the people around me, and I'm ready to grow, and I'm ready to be the church. Amen? That's what it means to be a member of this church. That's what it means to come to new member class. I'd be remiss if I didn't close today with, you know, some of the, the biggest news of the week, not, not the Hawkeye loss. We lost the, the beloved queen, Queen Elizabeth, and I was thinking about this the last time that the royal family was really in the news, and it was the royal wedding, right? William and Kate, you remember that? Three kids now, and I remember watching that really early in the morning with the time difference and the change, and the queen was there. And by the way, if you do a deep dive, incredible woman, incredible life of faith, incredible legacy, an amazing sense of humor. She's just awesome. She was at this wedding. And I remember watching the wedding and the, all the fanfare and all the buzz and the media and every news outlet was covering it. And, and everybody, there was entire talk shows dedicated to the lace on Kate's dress and, 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 and what she would look like and, and how fast she would walk down the aisle. And millions and millions and millions of eyeballs are on this woman that's marrying into this family. All of a sudden, you're royal. You're a big deal now, and all the focus is on you. I remember watching that and looking over at Tiffany and saying, yeah, she's got nothing on you, honey. She's got nothing on you, right? But it got us talking, and I remember that day we started talking about our wedding. And as Kate walked down that aisle to all the royal fanfare and everything, I remember the moment where I stood on a church stage and watched Tiffany come down the aisle. We hadn't seen each other. She was great. I was a mess. And those of you that got married, you remember that moment. Dudes especially. Maybe you remember that moment. When you see her, and I remember in that moment, I thought to myself, there is nothing that I wouldn't do for her. She's my princess. There is nothing that I wouldn't, I would, I would give my life for her. <laughs> is she perfect? <laughs> yes, she's perfect, but <laughs> I know this is going on YouTube, so yes, she's perfect. But no, she's not. But I would give my life for her. And of the many ways that the church is described in Scripture, it is described as Christ, as the bridegroom or the husband, and all of us, the church, as his bride. And in Revelation 21, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Paul picks up on this theme in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about men and women. He says this, Christ loved the church 
and he gave himself up for her. He died for her to present her to himself as a radiant church. Not a broken, crumpled up, messy church with flaws that has lost its value. Oh, so much more, a radiant church. A bride, the church that was worth dying for. Is this bride perfect? No. But for all of its flaws, for all of our flaws, Jesus thought that we were worth dying for. The church is Jesus' plan A for bringing the kingdom of God to this earth, and there is no plan B. Why? Because our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the head of this body, the head of this church, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? He is our hope. He is the one that we stop on this rally Sunday and say, Jesus, break into my life, right? Bring your hope into my life. You are the one above all else that I am putting my hope and my trust in. In. Our worth is not determined by what's happened to us or by the experiences that you've had. Our worth is determined by our maker, the one that gave his life for us. In this last week, I've had the opportunity to, to baptize a, a, one of the teenagers from our student ministry. He said, I want to get baptized, and I want to do it at the river, and I want to do it with all my friends and family, and I want to do it this Friday. And so we did. Last Friday, we baptized her in a new life in faith. I've had multiple—praise God. I've had people— <laughs> People come up and continue to say, I was in your support group. I was in this men's Bible study and I'm experiencing freedom and breakthrough and, and freedom from the addictions that have enslaved me for years. There are bo little boys and girls from our schools that are running around these hallways now this week getting a quality, affordable education. I continue to hear stories of small groups of men and women that have had their lives transformed by Jesus Christ through the power of community. And folks, we're just getting started. It's Rally Sunday. And today... Jesus comes to you and says, it's time. This rally Sunday, Kairos moment, it's time. Jesus wants to break into your life and do something brand new today. And you might be a skeptic and you might be stuck and you might be scarred. But Jesus says, and this church says, come and see. Come as you are. Bring all of it, and we're going to learn how to follow Jesus, and we're going to learn how to be a broken and yet beautiful church together. Amen? Amen. Wherever you are, online or in the room, let's stand together. We're going to sing a brand new song together. We're going to ask Jesus to turn it around for us and give us a fresh start today. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.